Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basic, by examining the Word of God, and especially the example of the Book of Acts Church, to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended, and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is on going the fire of the upper room still burns if you have any questions go to firefalltalkradio.com use the contact button or you can write us directly at the porch lowercase one word at firefalltalkradio.com you'd like to support us there are ways to do so go to the firefall talk radio homepage. we appreciate your support and encouragement welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms remember we can always be found on apple Podcasts. Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Okay. So far, so good. After last week's experience, I'm sitting here waiting for something to go wrong, but we're just going to keep going, believing that everything's going to go right. Glad you could be with us again. Apologies for last week. It was um, a crazy start to things. The microphone wouldn't work, and the software that I used to broadcast with locked up my computer, and it was just wild. But what I worked on last week, we're going to get this week. So we're going to keep going. Glad you could be here. This is the uh, community part of the porch. If you don't want to be a part of that, go to the sound of the second shofar. It takes you right into the Bible study. If you want to be a part of this and you haven't already hooked up with us, go to firefalltalkradio.com. You can connect with us on Facebook. We have a page there. We're on Instagram and we're on Twitter. You can write us at the porch at firefalltalkradio.com. Send us praise reports, prayer requests if you have any needs. And we can help you. We will. If nothing else, we can get people praying for you. Uh, We start out praise reports and prayer requests. So my first praise report is that I am here with you tonight. I really enjoy doing this. I love talking about the Lord. I love speaking about His Word. And I love being with you to help you prepare for what's coming. So I praise him first for my salvation, for the calling on my life, for my home, for my wife, my sons, daughter-in-laws, grandsons, who, by the way, just turned four years old, uh, a tremendous blessing in our life, for our furry kids and everything that we have. I praise him for you, each and every one of you, those of you that I know, that I've met, that I interact with, And those of you I pray for in the spirit that I don't know yet, maybe someday we will meet. If not here, we know that we will meet in paradise. But if we can do it here, maybe in advance, I don't know. We'll see what the Lord wants to do. It's all in his control. Praise him for his provision and his protection over each and every one of us. Thank him every day. Start every day in praise and prayer and thanks Take advantage of the protection. Take advantage of the authority given to you in Yeshua's name. Praise him for the dreams and the visions, as I've mentioned of late. The last couple of months, it's pretty pretty active. Dream life, visions, um, things that the Lord has been showing. Showing up in prayer meetings with my brother Larry and I. Um, it's, It's been... A very exciting time, even though the world seems like it's going to heck in a handbasket, whatever that means. I praise him for his healing virtues and the divine health and the promises of his word. Praise him for favor, abiding favor, for the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the fact that the Spirit walks with us and helps us and teaches us. And I praise him that I am a new creation, living in these prophetic times, being able to talk to you about prophecy and what is to come, which means we better know how to pray. 
Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. I have always been and always will be prayerful for Jerusalem, for Israel, for our Jewish brothers and sisters. Whether you are born into the vine or grafted into the vine, we should be praying for one another. Pray that their leadership would get their act together and do what's right before God first. Pray for our leadership. Pray for America. You know, we're going to be talking about the days of Noah. And something the Lord said to me today, by the way, during prayer. He said to me, did I intervene during the days of Noah? And I said, no, Lord, your intervention was the flood. That's all he said. Folks, we're living in a time where I know some people believe God's going to rescue America. We better pray, because I don't believe he's going to do that. I believe he's going to give us a way out like he gave Noah. I believe he's going to protect us, but I do not believe he's going to intervene. And prophecy and scripture bears that out. I pray for the people of the world. I know that sounds really uh, uh, super spiritual, but no, I mean, I'm praying that people are putting their trust in men and women as leaders and they're being betrayed. So I pray for them. I pray for the fatherless and the widow the persecuted and the martyred, the poor in spirit, the bound, the oppressed, the innocents, and those who are the victims of injustice. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, both human and animal, for the missing and exploited children, for the victims of human sex trafficking, for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. It is never ending and getting worse by the moment. I pray for healing right now, divine wholeness, health, and healing as we get back to our divine design. No matter where you are right now in that process, trust him, believe, pray, receive, do not be discouraged. I'm praying for divine protection, for inspiration, for revelation, to be awakened in in our spirit. If you're a part of the remnant, if you believe you're a part of the remnant, And if you are, say amen, not for me, but for the Lord. Let the Lord know that you're a part of the remnant. Well, if you are, you should be awake, you should be studying, you should be listening. Because we are in the time of the remnant. Sounds like the title of a teaching after I'm done with the days of Noah, the time of the remnant. Praying for him to open all the doors that we need open for the projects and the plans and the ministries and the calling to do what we're called to do. In these end times, kingdom finances for kingdom business. And I'm praying for our lost family members. Let's bring them in. If you don't think they'll listen to you, if you've tried and you don't think they'll listen to you, then I will touch and agree with you that the Lord will send someone to them that they will listen and be able to choose correctly where they're going to spend eternity. Father, please In the name of Yeshua, we come to you as your children. We love you. We praise you. Oh, my goodness. You are an awesome, awesome Abba. Thank you for that love. Thank you for sending Yeshua to die for us so that we could be reconnected to you, reconciled, restored. Eternity is going to be so awesome. We thank you, Lord, for the cross. What a horrible, horrible thing you endured for us. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the pain that you endured because we never could have or would have. But I am thankful that you are alive. You've risen from the grave. You're not dead. You are alive. You sit at the right hand of the Father in fullness and power, and we get to sit with you in the heavenly places. How that works out, I don't know. It feels like it could be a little cramped, but I'm good with that. If you're there, Lord, I don't care how cramped it is. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you sent back to guide us to teach us, to encourage us, to love on us, to keep us connected to you. Holy Spirit, have your way. Do whatever you want to do tonight. 
A lot of notes to catch up on from last week. But you do what you want. You say what you want to say. I will be obedient and submitted. Bless us. Protect us. Protect the technology. Let this be a time that you are glorified, Lord. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So because of the technical problems, I really don't know how far in I got, what you heard, outside of me saying what's going on. Um, So I'm just going to start as if I've never said it before. It's a quote from Sir Isaac Newton. I use it in my book. I've used the times when I've taught. He said, About the time of the end, a body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies and insist upon their literal interpretation in the midst of much clamor and opposition. Well, Considering the fact that he lived from 1642 to 1727, nothing's changed in 2002. Prophecy creates clamor and opposition. What is prophecy? Prophecy, according to Lexham Bible Dictionary, is an oral divine message mediated through an individual that is directed at a person or people group and intended to elicit a specific response. Prophecy in regards to what we're talking about is a foretelling of future events, and God is the author of prophecy, not man. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says, according to the uniform teaching of the Bible, the prophet is a speaker of or for God. His words are not the production of his own spirit, but come from a higher source. A lot of people today should uh, read that. Second Peter chapter 1 talks about this, starting in verse 19. Peter says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Prophetic word, prophets speaking prophecy, need to open up their Bibles need to get back to the form, need to get back to the guidelines. We have too many people calling themselves prophets today when all they are is profiting from words and false teachings. But it's always been that way, and the Lord has always dealt with it. Ezekiel chapter 13, starting with verse 2, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets, for they follow their own spirits and have seen nothing. Jeremiah twenty-three sixteen. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. Now, why am I belaboring this? We're talking Matthew 24. We're talking days of Noah. We're speaking about prophecy, and true prophecy is Holy Spirit inspired from the Lord. True prophets are not popular. They don't draw crowds. They don't make a lot of money. A biblical example of a prophet 
is an unpopular ministry. Jeremiah chapter 20, starting verse 7. O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. Verse 9 says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Remember one time I met somebody, this is a while ago. He was taking me to a uh, resort. Driver, who was a believer, was talking back and forth, and he was talking about prophet this and prophet that. And I asked him, I said, these prophets you're talking about, do they have huge followings? Oh, yeah, brother, huge followings. So they dress well. Oh, yeah, you think they're making money? Oh, they're doing well. I said, then they're not prophets. He looked at me and said, I said, you look at your Bible. You tell me one prophet who spoke for the Lord that was popular, did well, and they didn't try to kill him. He got really quiet. Rest of the ride, he never said another word. As he dropped me off, he looked at me and said, thank you. I'm really going to stew on that one. He said, you you hit me hard with that one. True biblical prophecy is direction and correction for the church. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says, In genuine prophecy, according to Bible conceptions, the fulfillment constitutes an integral part. This is set up by Deuteronomy 18.21 as proof of the genuineness of prophetic utterance. Deuteronomy 18.21 says, And if you say in your heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Any prophet whose prediction fails must be branded as false, even if he or she claims to speak for God. The mere claim is insufficient if it goes unfulfilled. That's the New Living Translation Study Bible. Why is this so important, folks? We're living in a time of deception. That's how Matthew 24 starts out. We've been warned not to be deceived, and we've been given guidelines in the Word. And yet, I am astounded how easily the church is fooled. Jeremiah 14, starting with verse 14, The Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, says the Lord, concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send, and who say sword and famine shall not be in this land, by sword and famine those prophets shall be consumed. Later on in chapter 14 of Jeremiah, it says, and the people who listen to these prophets shall suffer their punishment. See, the government of Judah supported a company of prophets who promoted the religious views of the king and his advisors. The Lord condemned them, along with the officials and the priest. And here in this scripture, he exposes them as impostors and describe what would happen to them and to the people to whom they prophesied. Now Samuel was a real prophet. First Samuel 3.19. It says, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. That phrase, fall to the ground, means it's been fulfilled by God, by the course of events. If it was an empty word and was not realized, it would have fallen. The Jews considered Malachi the last true prophet, but then John the Baptist came along and they had to take note. They had to pay attention. You know why? Because his message was of repentance and the coming Messiah. Old Testament prophets announced the return 
to the Lord, to, to Jehovah, in obedience to his commandments on the way to salvation. I do not believe New Testament prophets are any different. I believe they're speaking, correcting, and directing the church toward his second coming. Hosea 6.1 is a call to repentance. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. Isaiah one eighteen. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Jeremiah four one. If you return to me, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. You want an example of the true prophet, the true prophetic office, the measurement by which all prophets should be measured? Look at Yeshua himself. He had an intimate, connected relation to his heavenly Father, speaking only the Father's words completely and without hesitation. John 5, verses 19 and 20. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man, which is what just happened. Then you will be truly astonished. John 12, verses 49 and 50. This is the Lord. Red letters. Listen to me. He didn't say that. I'm saying that. For I have never spoken on my own initiative or authority, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment regarding what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. So the things I speak, I speak in accordance with his exact instruction, just as the Father has told me. That's why Yeshua warned against false prophets. That's why he inspired the apostles to warn against false prophets in the apostolic times. And they they were urging the church not to be fooled by lying spirits. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is the early church he's speaking to. Nothing's changed all these years later. So what I've done here is what I've done before. I've I've made my case. My case is this. Prophecy from the Lord can be trusted. Now, we started this, not last week, the week before, talking about Matthew 24. Talking about the coming of the Son of Man, the Messiah, will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the very day when Noah entered the ark. And they did not know or understand until the flood came and swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. And that's an unexpected judgment. Be alert. Give strict attention to, be cautious, active in your faith, for you do not know which day, whether near or far, your Lord is coming. So before we go any further about the days of Noah, I want to take a deeper look at Matthew 24, because the Lord is painting a prophetic picture for us that we here and now, in 2022, Should be paying attention. Starting with verse 1, Yeshua went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Yeshua said, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. See, the temple was the source of their religious pride. And it was destroyed because of divine judgment. You know, people get all excited about the 
temple wall. They put their little prayers in the crevices. You see people praying there. You know why I would never go do that? Because that wall, all that's left of that temple complex, is a symbol of judgment. It's a symbol of disobedience. It's not a something good. It's a symbol that because they disobeyed, that that is all that is left. I don't need that temple. I don't need that wall. I don't need the third temple. That's not for me. That's not for believers in Yeshua. But the disciples were caught up in religion. They were caught up in how beautiful that temple was. The pride of it. The religious pride they had in it. And the Lord is already trying to break that down. So he sat on the Mount of Olives. And the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be. Referring back to what he just said about the tearing down of the temple. Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they asked him a couple of questions. When and what? When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That Greek term for coming or appearing is parousia. And the end of the age symbolizes or epitomizes the climax, the epoch of salvation history and the closure of that part of our history. That's why this is called the Olivet Discourse, because it took place on the Mount of Olives. Pretty self-explanatory. But when he sits down with them, and I don't think they understood at that moment, that he was prophesying. He was speaking of things that were about to happen and that would happen in the distant future. And that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is, if it's spoken from the Lord, it is just as much outside of time as the Lord is. So they wanted to know what he said. When would it happen? When would the destruction of the temple come? When would the end of the age come? And what they were looking for was an answer as to the apocalypse. Boy, is that a popular... Everybody wants an answer as to the apocalypse, the end of time, the end of all things. So what he does, many teachers would say he uses symbolic language. I disagree. He's using prophetic language so that those who have ears to hear, hear. And we see this in Matthew 24. We also see it in Mark 13 and Luke 21. But the first thing he says in Matthew 24, which ties us into the days of Noah, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying I am the Messiah and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the sorrows. So the first thing he talks about is false messiahs. Now many of the commentaries will tell you that what he's talking about is other people claiming that they are Messiah. But I don't see that in the verbiage. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. There's been a lot of false people claiming that he was Messiah, who did not know him, did not speak of him clearly and truthfully, and deceived the people into thinking they were talking about Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. A lot of New Age teachings about Jesus of Nazareth, not being the Messiah, but having the Messiah spirit upon him. Deception, no matter what its source and no matter what its form, is prevalent. And the source of all deception is demonic. And it's meant to get us off track. It's meant to get us focused on the wrong things. 
the wars, the rumors of wars, the, the famines, the pestilence. We shouldn't be distracted by that. We should know that those are just signs of the beginning of the sorrows. Don't be focused on those things. And don't be focused on the end, the hope of closure. That's what the disciples wanted. They wanted the hope of closure. No, no, we should be focused on the job at hand. And the signs he lists for us in verses 4 through 8 are not necessarily the end, but prior to the end. And folks, we've been in it. I know people say, well, brother, these things have been going on for a long time. Well, of course they are, because prophecy began to be fulfilled on Calvary, on the day of Pentecost, and then went into overdrive when Israel became a nation, when the fig tree blossomed. Of course they've always been around, because they are prior to the end. But the next thing he talks about is is the time of persecution. Now, if you don't think Noah was persecuted while building that ark, then you're not using, you're not thinking clearly. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Lawlessness isn't man's law, it's God's law. It's sin. It's rebellion against the things of God. Well, during this period of time, and since then, oppression of believers, Christians, if you will, and family betrayal of those who were believers was common. Christians were despised and subjected to great suffering. So this is an accurate description of the situation in Judea before the Jewish war around 66-70 when Titus destroyed the city. So what I said is that the destruction of the temple and the prophecy was being fulfilled right then and there within 30 years, but is also for a time in the future. Roman historian Tacitus describes Christians as, quote, the most hated ones of mankind. And this persecution will inspire the falling away from the faith and from the Lord. It did it then and will do it now. Faithfulness to him, loving faithfulness, and the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom to the world will bring the end. Not the gospel of a denomination, the gospel of the kingdom. Then in Matthew twenty four fifteen through 22, he talks about the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel. How bad it'll be if you're on the housetop. Go, don't, don't go down and get anything. Just flee. If you're in the field, don't go back and get your clothes. If you're pregnant or nursing baby in those days, more to you. Pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, because in the winter the, the rivers were swollen and it was much harder to travel. And, and this, being on the Sabbath, it wasn't something you were supposed to do. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not has been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall ever be. Well, we know that couldn't have been them fleeing then. It's got to be a time in the future. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. This is prophetic word for the future. This is for the end of time. So we know Antiochus Epiphanes destroyed the temple in 167 B.C., left it standing, but desecrated. Tacitus did not want to destroy the temple. It was an accident that it got set on fire and burned so hot that it fell completely apart. 
the 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 horror of that event was unprecedented and the city was completely demolished this is just a foreshadowing of the coming antichrist see he will desecrate the third temple he will declare it for himself he will go in and sit down on the mercy seat and declare himself as god But the one thing that I want to get you to understand, if you remember nothing else from all these notes, the prophetic imagery, the divine correction, and the fulfillment of prophecy comes when man-made religion is destroyed. What the Jews of that day were doing had very little to do with the word of God. It was the traditions of men. The church is no different today. So then we get to Matthew 24, verses uh, 26 to 25. We're going into the second coming. And I call this a prophetic guideline. Remember the key here is don't be deceived. I've been deceived. I've believed things that I now realize were not true. I've accepted things because they were taught to me by people that I should have, were supposed to trust, that had they had done the job and the studying. And once I did the job to study and understood the word, had the spirit revealed to me, I began to realize that my acceptance of what they were teaching was wrong. From the time you were saved to the way you are now, wherever you are in your walk, you've been deceived. Don't beat yourself up if you wake up one day and go, that's not what the Word says, and that wasn't what the Lord meant. I don't know if the people that I heard knew. Many of the conversations I had with Pastor Shelley before he passed dealt with some of this, things that we used to believe were true that we now see are not. Even he at his age in his 90s after being a preacher and a teacher all those many decades, I think it's 60 years or so, came to the realization at the end that there was stuff he believed that was slightly off, that one degree off. Keep reading. Keep praying. Keep studying. Make things line up with the Word. Remember the one of the guidelines I, I shared with everybody beginning of my ministry, and especially once I started going on other podcasts and going to seminars and I wrote the book. I do not manipulate the Word to match my revelation. I make my revelation line up with the Word or I withhold it. And when the Lord began to reveal things to me in January of 2007, it would be another three years before I shared them publicly. It took me that long in time and prayer and study to make the exciting things he was showing me to make them line up with the Word, to have the Word confirm the revelation. Too many people get a revelation or an idea or an insight and they spew it out there. They want to be known. They want to get on a podcast. They want to make a video go viral. And and I just cringe because in their zeal to do what they do, they're misleading people. If you have a desire to know the Word, then spend time in the Word. Spend time with the Lord. Allow the Spirit to teach you. But one of the things he gives us in Matthew 24, verses 26 uh, through about 31, the signs of just before he's about to come, they'll say, oh, look, he's in the desert. Don't go there. He's in the inner rooms. Don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. The Son of Man will appear in heaven. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. 
and he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Any absence of one of these things will tell you it's not him. If you don't believe that they can deceive you, we talked about this for years on Reflections in the Dark. There is going to be a deception where through holograms and technology, they will show the the image of Jesus in the sky and the clouds. And of course, they're going to meld that image with all the other prophets and all the other famous people into one face as part of the deception. This will tell you what should be seen. If the sound of the trumpet and if the elect have not been gathered together, which would be the rapture of the church, what you're seeing in the sky doesn't line up with the word. So after he tells you that, after he gives you the prophetic guideline, he gives you the first sign. Learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know the summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my my words will by no means pass away. The parable of the fig tree is Israel. Israel became a legal nation in 1947. They inhabited the land in 1948. That's the generation, those that were alive then, that are still alive and that were born during that time. So he tells you the prophetic guideline. He tells you the first sign. Now, the enemy knows this. The enemy has gotten really active since Israel became a nation. That's when the UFO deception started. That's when the paranormal explosion started. That's when the New Age deception exploded. Spiritism had been around since Babylon, but during that period of time, it became acceptable. And now we get to the days of Noah. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. And if his father knows, he knows. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. During the time of of Noah, I said Moses because I'm thinking, you know, Moses wrote Genesis and we're talking about the days of Noah from Genesis. But during those times, First of all, the days of Noah began when Noah was born, not when he started building the ark. We're going to go deeper into that next week. But during that time, it was business as usual. Debauchery, sin, depravity, unlike anything the world had ever seen before, and it caused him to drown everyone and everything except for eight people and those animals on the ark. They didn't know. They didn't believe. They thought he was nuts. He gets locked into his ark by God, which must have been a sight to see. And there's no water. First day, second day, and all of a sudden it starts to rain. All of a sudden the water starts coming up from underneath the ground because there's huge amounts of water, oceans of water underneath the earth comes from both directions. It's at their feet. It's at their ankles. Now it's past their ankles. Now it's knee level, and if I'm sure about that point, they're realizing uh, we, we may have a problem here. Hey, Noah, can we get in? Noah. Noah, can we? Noah, open the door, Noah. Now it's at their bellies. 
It's at their chest. It's at their neck, their shoulders. Now it's over their head. They didn't know. They didn't believe. What he's showing us in prophetic language is that unnatural behavior by mankind inspired by the demonic, inspired by the fallen, brings an unnatural response. He's giving us a warning. He's telling us, hey, when you see these things, know that divine judgment is coming. You don't know when it's going to happen. Therefore, you have to always be ready. I, t- I speak to so many people who claim to be born-again believers that have no clue what I'm talking about. And when I speak of prophecy and I speak of the signs, they, they roll their eyes or they check out. I can see them glaze over. And I know they're not going to be ready. People that should know better are not going to be ready. But he gave us examples of what this is going to be like. Acts 1 Starting verse 9, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Yeshua, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Isn't that cool? The Lord sent two angels to make sure that these fishermen, these disciples of his, understood what they were seeing. He loved them so much, he didn't even want them to miss that. But see, Daniel prophesies this in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man is Yeshua, the Ancient of Days, is the Father. Prophecy from real prophets will line up with the Word. It won't be in place of the Word. It won't be a new revelation. It'll line up with the Word. But see, we also see this referred to in Revelation 19. I don't know about you, as I've been reading these notes now for two weeks. Not two weeks every day, two weeks solid. I mean, I've had these notes since last week. And even reading them again today, and as I'm reading them here to you out loud, I'm getting excited. Oh, I'm not getting excited about judgment and people dying and the destruction of the wicked. No, I'm getting excited because the king is coming. The king is coming. And I've chosen him to be my king, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I have made him Lord of my life. I have confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart. And I'm longing and looking for the day that I see him again. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, 
King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Folks, he's not coming for a picnic. He's not coming for a beach party. He's coming to make war. And he's coming to stop what I believe is the ones coming out of the pit and the watchers of old, the kings of the earth, warring with the Antichrist in Jerusalem. And if he doesn't intercede, they'll destroy the earth and there'll be nothing left. King does not have to leave the throne. He could he could issue an edict from heaven. But he decides, no, I'm going to stop this. They're not going to destroy this earth. I'm going to intervene. He's going to defeat the beast and his armies. He's going to put them in their place. You know, when he died, he went down before he went up. And he was down there for three days to fulfill the prophecy about Jonah, which he himself spoke. And he preached to those in the pit, and he preached to those in the prisons, and I believe he went down there and showed them what fools they were. That prophecy was being fulfilled, and he had done it. And the next time they saw him, he was going to punish them for all of eternity. The days of Noah were not a good time. It wasn't just about... Oh, they were sinful and they were getting married. No, no, no. You really need to do your homework. I mean biblical, scriptural homework on that time. There are commentaries. There are things from the early church fathers about those days that lay it out for you. We'll talk about it next week. I've done really deep, in-depth teaching on it and studying on it. It was a debauched, demonic depraved time. We see hints of it in the Roman and Greek mythology. We see hints of it in in some of the writings from those days. We see hints of it in in the society today. What they're trying to do to children, what they're showing them, what they're trying to teach them, what they're trying to do with them, what they're trying to make acceptable, which is unacceptable in the sight of God. And we are in the onset of the days of no. We're not even fully in. If these days are bothering you, you better get ready. It's going to get worse. You better know this word. You better know him. And he better know you. Your name needs to be written in that Lamb's book of life. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Having both the gifts and the fruit evident in your life. The disciples taught on it. They spoke about it. They encouraged it. Second Thessalonians 1, starting verse 7, Paul to the church in Thessalonica. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of Adonai, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired amongst all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. The message that they preached was salvation, was healing. It was restoration, but it was preparation. See, the concluding parables of Matthew 24, and you should read the whole chapter. Go back, read it, take notes, maybe spend a week in it. But the conclusion of Matthew 24 bangs home the message, the necessity of remaining watchful. A description of final judgment is what ends his prophetic discourse. And it's a basic message It's a call to be prepared for when Yeshua does return. So the Lord himself was speaking prophecy about himself, about a time that he would fulfill and what it would be like on the earth when he returned so that you would know and be ready. Remember, I started out explaining to you the Lexham Bible Dictionary description of prophecy is, 
an oral divine message mediated through an individual that is directed at a person or people group and intended to elicit a specific response. So what is the specific purpose that he is trying to elicit in Matthew 24? To be ready for his return. So be alert. Give strict attention. Be cautious and active in faith. For you do not know which day, whether near or far, your Lord is coming. To do that, we need to understand Noah and the prophetic times he lived in to understand where we are now. We need to understand what the Lord was trying to tell us then to prepare us for now. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us so much that you gave us all this information, all this preparation, all this teaching, all these guidelines. You gave us a travel itinerary. You gave us everything we needed to know. I am praying from my heart, deep within my soul, for your children to wake up, to see the signs of the times, and do what needs to be done to be ready. Then in the blink of an eye, it could happen that they would not be deceived by false teachers and false prophets, that they would not be deceived by humanistic secular things that sound good but are poisonous in their intent. I pray right now, Lord, that for whatever reason you delayed this message, you allowed it to be delayed. I don't think you did it, but I think you allowed it. That it was heard by whoever was supposed to hear it tonight. That they, instead of wanting to build an ark to wait out the rain, would be busy like Noah and his family were. They would be understanding that it isn't just about getting out of the rain. This is about doing what we've been called to do in this time. I wish we knew more about what Noah and his family did, who cut the wood, who who split the logs, who did the pitch that sealed it. and We don't know that. We, ju- we just don't. Everybody's got their part. Everybody's got their call. And I pray that your children would do whatever it is they're called to do. But most of all, I pray that they would fulfill the Great Commission. Get people to understand the end is near. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next year. It may not be in 10 years. But it's near enough that you should be concerned. I pray your spirit is stirring within them. I pray that the gifts and the fruit of the spirit are right now bubbling up and and coming alive inside of them. That the word is coming alive in their minds and they're seeing and understanding things they'd never seen or understood before. I'm praying that their hearts are on fire for you. Knowing that as it was, it will be again. You told us it would and we believe you. And we stand ready, and we long to see you, and we long to do your will. I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I am Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.